So I'm afraid, or even though I've got the PowerPoint here in front of me, you can't see it. But I've asked Mike if he can actually put up uh, some of the verses that I'm going to be referring to. You will remember that last week, Paul uh, spoke to us about how the word of God was read to all the people of God. Now, in reality, we are going to move on from what Paul was saying to us. And if you can put it up, Mike, as far as verse number nine, uh, I'll read a little section uh, from Nehemiah 8. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send to some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord, do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the head of the families, along... <coughs> along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, that they, that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go into the hill country and bring back some branches from olive trees and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate and the one gate by the gate and sorry and the one by the gate of Ephraim the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua son of Nun until the day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great day after day from the first day to the last Ezra read from the book of the law of God they celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And we'll read a little bit from chapter 9 as well. This is what, was, this is what came straight afterwards. So chapter 9, verse 1. On the fourth day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of, the, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Go down, please, um, to verse 5, second half of the verse. 
and we hear what they're saying. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, and the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites. And we'll stop the reading there. So we're going to focus particularly on the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. Possibly we will look at a little at the end of chapter 9, but we might have to leave that till the next time that we're in the book of Nehemiah. So we are looking now at how sin was resolved. The problem was the people of God had gone away from him. But now, they're back in the land. Uh, it's very interesting. Did you notice, as the people read the word of God, they started weeping. Because they realised what a terrible mess they had made of things. Now, you know, when I was a head teacher, and I was dealing with children who had misbehaved, when I got them admitting their misbehaviour, the first thing I did was say, right, now you make sure you don't do that again, you know. The admission of guilt was my opportunity to say to them, okay, we don't go down that road again. But have you noticed? That's not what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8. Because you see, these people were reading the word of God. And what happened in the passage that we've got up here, what happened after reading the word of God, what they did was to put in place what the word of God had required them to do something actually they hadn't done as we read together they hadn't done it since the days of joshua but actually before dealing with their sin which is what we read a little bit about in chapter 9 what nehemiah does is set out a pathway for recovery and he tells them there in verse 9 this day is holy to the Lord your God. Therefore, don't mourn or weep. Why was he saying that to them? Well, he wanted them to understand that our God is a positive God. Didn't he? He says to them in verse 10 of chapter 8, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Yes, says Nehemiah. Before we deal with the issue of your sins, I want you to understand that the God to whom you are returning is a God who is a welcoming God. He's a God who delights in bringing blessing your ways. And actually, that God who is a welcoming God is a God who wants you to be part of that welcoming process. At the beginning of verse 10, he says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks <coughs> and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Listen, says Nehemiah. God has given you food. God has given you sweet drinks and I want you to enjoy it. And actually, as you enjoy it, I want you to think of others. Why? Because God is a caring God. So as you come back to God, which is very much the message of the last half of Nehemiah chapter 8, as you come back to God, he's not there with a big stick. No, God is there to welcome. See, these people were weeping because they had realised what a mess they had made of things in the past. These people realised they'd failed. You know, there are times, aren't there, when in our lives we know we failed. And there are times when that failure can get to us in a big way and we ask the question, can God ever receive me back? Nehemiah is making clear to the people that God does want us back. However big the mistakes we make, or actually however little the mistakes we make, God says to us, I want you back enjoying relationship with me. Now the priests were involved in this process because we read in verse 11 that the Levites calmed all the people and the Levites said be still for this is a holy day do not grieve. You see the word of God that they were reading that Paul emphasised to us last week. The word of God needs to have an effect on our lives, doesn't it? And I think, of course, that's a big question we all have to ask ourselves. Now, when we read the scriptures, what effect does it have on us? In fact, we should perhaps go a, a stage further and ask ourselves, why do we read the scriptures? No, are we doing it out of a sense of duty? Are we doing it because we think that's what Christians ought to do? Or are we recognising that actually the scriptures are God's 
revelation for you and me. Now when we sang that hymn this morning, my hope is built on nothing less. You know, it always has a special ring for me because it was actually the last words of my grandfather. I never ever met him. He died in 1926. But my father used to regularly tell us when we sang that hymn, those were the final words of my dad. When he was dying, he sat up in the bed and he said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and so on. My dad said, you know, that always stays with me powerfully. And he obviously told it pretty powerfully to me because it's always affected me ever since, you know. And you know, it is a tremendous thing that when we sing and when we read that it has an effect on our lives and our experience. We're not just singing words. God is speaking to us. And what happens here, we read that the Levites calmed the people. And we read that the Levites said, be still, for this is a holy day. And you know, as God's people, there are times when we need to say to ourselves, be still. In fact, the psalmist says, in fact, I remember once being asked by a young man in Hungary, what's your favourite verse? I didn't realise that he wanted actually to inscribe it on something and give it to me, but uh, I told him my favourite verse is actually Psalm 46 and verse number 10. Be still and know that I am God. The psalmist says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. You know, it is good that sometimes we just stop and think who God is and realise how mighty and powerful he is. So, the Levites, they command the people. And then they told them that they were to go away and eat and drink and send portions of food to people and to celebrate with great joy. <clears throat> but then they were told they had to do something else. They were, for the very first time in their experience, going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. I remember when I first went to college in Cardiff, or first came to college in Cardiff, I don't know whether Jasper, you still see it when you go up the drive, but <coughs> that, that house on the drive was the principal's house when I was there, a very famous principal, the first principal, called Walter Jones. And uh, Walter Jones, I'm sure he wouldn't get away with it today. I, mean, I remember the first time he addressed us as year one students, he said, welcome to Coincoid. He was making a play on King Coin and pointing out to us that most of the people who lived around 
the college were actually Jews. And in fact, most of them were Orthodox Jews. And in the next house to Walter Jones's house, it was on the main road, there was the house of some pretty eminent Jews. But every autumn, you would see on their garage trees, branches and all the rest of it because actually they kept the feast of the Passover. The feast of Sukkoth they actually kept and for one week they didn't live in their beautiful home but they actually lived in a temporary residence on top of their garage. It kind of introduced me to what the feast of tabernacles was like. You know, I kind of wondered why did these really eminent and wealthy people live on top of their garage? Well, they did it as an expression of their faith. And actually, it's something similar here. Of course, there weren't any garages in Jerusalem at this time, but there were newly built houses which were there to protect them from the enemy outside. But God was actually saying to them, okay, for one week, you've got to go out and you've got to live in, we would have called them dens in my day, you know, where you bring branches and you, you go, <coughs> we used to make them and we used to take our tea and have them in them. But you know, th these people were living there for a week and the enemy was outside. So what was the spiritual lesson they were learning? They were learning that God was there and God was the one who was going to protect them. So these people kept the feast of tabernacles, the Jewish word is Sukkot, they kept the feast of Sukkot out in outside their homes and it was the first time they had done it since the days of joshua this was a feast that celebrated just how great god is and we read at the end of verse 17 that their joy was very great why was their joy very great well i suggest to you for a number of reasons. Number one, they were sharing what they had with others. That's always something that gives us joy, doesn't it? You know, it's a great thing at this present time that we are able to share our food parcels with the community. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? that we can actually help people who are in real need. That's what happened here. But what was the other reason that they had joy during the Feast of Succoth? Well, it was they were back in the land, weren't they? What else gave them joy, being back in the land? Well, it was that they could do the will of God. And you know, that's a beautiful thing for you and me to really appreciate that God is with us. But it actually isn't all they did. 
at that time. You look at verse 18 of Nehemiah chapter 8. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. Now, Paul pointed out to us last week that before this, they were reading the word of God. <coughs> now they are involved in the feast. They're keeping on reading the word of God. And they are making sure that they are not only getting divine guidance, that's important, we need divine guidance. But on top of that, they were actually following exactly what Scripture told them to do. You see, at the end of verse 18, they celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So it was actually reading the word of God that caused them to weep and look for what God wanted them to do in the future. But when they were doing what God wanted them to do, their desire was they did exactly what scripture told them. You know, brothers and sisters, that's so important, isn't it? that we are constantly asking God, what do you want me to do? You're we are constantly asking God, what's your message to me? And having learned what God's message to us is, we do it. And you know, in scripture, this concept comes up again and again. You know, in the last writing, of the Apostle Paul, writing to 2 Timothy. He says this to him. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. You see, as we read the word of God, We've got to see that there are a number of things that need to be done. Reading the word of God should be inspiring us to work. And it should be inspiring us to make sure that we handle what God wants us to do correctly. The psalmist says, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Scripture has a road for us to take. That was the message to Israel, and it's the message to you and me today. God knows what he wants us to do. And you know we can have absolute confidence in the word of God. For the psalmist says in Psalm 119, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. 
You know, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We can have absolute confidence in the Word of God. And so, having built up this situation, giving the people absolute confidence in God, we move to the next phase, and that's the beginning of chapter 9. You see, sin does have to be dealt with. Does have to be dealt with. They couldn't live in the blessing of the Feast of Succoth for the whole period of time. And you know, as these people got to understand more about God, they understood more about their failure. And so we read in verse number one, the Israelites gathered together fasting, wearing sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. You see, having rejoiced in God caused them to realise they had a big responsibility to God. And that's important for us all, isn't it? We have a big responsibility for God. And we read in verse 2, they stood in their places and confessed their sins. And actually, very interestingly, they confessed the sins of their ancestors too. I don't think I've ever sat back and confessed the sins of my ancestors. You know, I'm not sure I even know what they are. But I do know that it is important to confess sin before God. Scripture tells us, doesn't it, to confess our sin before God. I was telling the young people on Thursday night, one of the men's biographies that's had the greatest effect on my life is the, is the biography of Jim Elliot. <clears throat> and one of the things that Jim Elliot, one of the many things he wrote of immense value was how important it is to keep short accounts with God. And he actually tells in his journal that three times a day he didn't just pray, but he actually kept a short account with God. He confessed before God the sins that he'd committed. Now, I'm not going to say for a moment I've managed to follow that, but it does bring home to me very strongly we do need to confess our sins. And what is interesting, look at verse number three. Oh, the word of God's there again. Yes. They read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession. And out of their confession came worshipping for God. You see, Nehemiah 8 and 9 brings before you and me the vital importance of relationship with God. These people knew God. Just a few things about their knowledge of God that flow out from this. Verse number 5. They are told by the Levites, the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting blessed be your glorious name 
and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You see, they recognized that their God was eternal. Now that's important, brothers and sisters. The God who we're dealing with has eternal values, doesn't he? They come out of eternity. One day we will be in eternity and that consistency will still be there. But the second thing they say to God is this, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens and even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Yes. Nehemiah says, or the book of Nehemiah tells us, our God is not just eternal, but our God is the creator. We shouldn't be surprised, should we, when the create, creatorial power of God has come under attack in the world in which we live. You see, the world doesn't want to accept responsibility towards God, so the world believes in evolution. It is a satanic attack. And the people in Nehemiah's day recognised that God is not only eternal, but he is the creator. And he points out to us what elements of creation do as far as God is concerned. He talks about the highest heavens. He talks about the starry host. He talks about the multitudes in heaven who are worshipping God not just you and me who worship God, is it? Oh no. Creation worships God. The created beings worship God. We enjoyed worshipping this morning, didn't we? The thing is, we were in tune with heaven as we did that. These people recognise that. And one last thing as I close. Nehemiah 9, verse 7. The Lord God who chose <coughs> Abraham. You know, your God and mine is a sovereign God. You know, you know what the scripture says about you and me? We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now I remember when I was a boy in school I wasn't very good at football. If it was rugby I was okay but I wasn't very good at football. And when we were all lined up to have a game of football you know captains would be chosen and I would know I was going to be one of the last chosen. You know, I would hear 
almost last word. Okay, Brindy, join our team. But I praise God that we are chosen in Christ. There's no indication that some get priority over others. We are chosen in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But there are responsibilities with that choice. Yes, Nehemiah 9 verse 8, you found in his heart, sorry, you found his heart faithful to you. So Abraham was chosen, but Abraham had a responsibility. But you know, we can be sure that if God chooses us, which of course he does to every true believer, God chooses us. He expects us to take up that responsibility and use it for him. But you know, he promises that he will be with us. You read at the end of verse 8, you have kept your promise because of your righteousness. The Israelites had to learn that lesson. So do we. So do we. We have a great God. We have a God of all power. But a God who chooses us as individuals to serve him. Isn't that just great? Let's pray, shall we? Our God and Father, we thank you for your greatness. Thank you for your goodness. We pray our God and our Father that you will bless and help us each one as we seek to live for you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.